You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. So I want to welcome everybody, and I want to introduce Emily Conrad. She's uh, someone that I adore, and uh, I'm very happy that she uh, accepted my invitation. Uh, Emily Conrad is a somatic pioneer, and I can say that um, and an incredible somatic pioneer. And she's the founder of Continuum and the author of Life on Land, which is uh, published by North Atlantic Press. One of the things uh, her background is is in dance, and in 1974, uh, Emily pioneered a protocol for spinal cord injury that was has been uh, an incredible process. From 74 to 79, she was the movement specialist in a research study conducted by Dr. Valerie Hunt at UCLA. And this groundbreaking study demonstrated that fluid primary movement is essential in our ability to innovate. And the enhancing uh, of the fundamental movements through doing primary fluid movement created something that was really rich and uh, has brought forth a kind of a lot of new insights and understanding of the human body. So today what we're going to be talking about is some of these human potential. And this is where uh, my interest comes in. As someone who has studied the core muscle of the body, that has actually become my expertise. But behind that, what my was most interested in in all my life is human potential. What does it mean to be a human being? What What is my potential as a human being beyond what my culture has defined uh, myself to be. And so I, when I met Emily, it was like I had come home. I had arrived home in an area where someone else had not only explored this for a long period of time, but had a, uh, an incredible way to enter into a relationship with aspects of oneself that my culture doesn't offer me, functional movement doesn't offer. So it, it was an entryway into what we call biological movement. So I want to welcome you, Emily. Thank you very much. And before you begin, let me ask everyone who's just joined us to please hit star six so that you're blocked out 
and it will only be a conversation between Emily and I till the end of our, our time together, and then we'll open it up for questions. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, Liz, and I thank you very much for your introduction. That was very kind. Uh, and truthful. Uh, so we <laughs> talked about um, some, some things that we, you might particularly want to begin a discussion about, and so I, I want to just jump right in because your approach to what we call the human body is so uh, beyond um, the standard objectified, uh, uh, I guess, a kind of perception of ourselves that I'd like you to start in with. What do you define as body? Well, that's a very complex question, and the the simplest answer, first of all, we just need to know that we don't know what the body is for. We actually don't know. And um, it's hard to imagine that the dinosaurs um, lived and died and went through everything that they went through, and all species lived and died and assembled themselves and constructed themselves to contribute to what I call the humanoid um, on a mission that we actually don't know. We don't know what we're doing here, and I think it's important to acknowledge that and that anything that we say about our bodies is is limited to what we're even capable of knowing. So that would be number one that I would that I would um, that that's the caveat that I would say. What I see if we were if if we were going to create any kind of description at all. The body is movement that has stabilized in order to live in this electromagnetic field called Earth. And so movement is what we are. It's not something we do. And to the extent that we can discover the, the unfolding movement world that exists within us will be what we have named our bodies. So in a in a couple of sentences, that's how I would describe the body at this point. I would also say that the human body as we know it is an accrual of billions of years of planetary history that every species in some way has contributed to, again, the assemblage of this, of this biped that is moving on planet Earth and its bones were developed by the sea our organs are still undulating with the tides of the sea. Um, the, uh, it's very interesting to me that the sea squirt began the uh, vertebral core. That was, the, that was 400 million years ago. The sea squirt, which is a very simple creature that just basically eats and eliminates, uh, it also clones its body from one blood cell, which is pretty interesting. But the first sign of the vertebral core was seen in the sea squirt as a gelatinous uh, uh, line that became the notochord in the embryo. So the embryo is carrying a 400 million year notochord at the very base of its vertebral core. So our connection as a species inclusive organism is is part of the um, the whole bodily 
uh, world that we inhabit. We get to use this body in our lifetime, but it's billions of years old. And again, it is a demonstration or an expression of a planetary process. So, so let me stop. So we, let me let me yeah. stop you there. Okay, let me stop you there because that that's a reframing of the human organism in a way that uh, some of your audience may have never ever thought about. So I just want to kind of take a well, that is there. true. And in continuum, I I sometimes we refer to it as an uninformed biped. That the notion of species inclusivity is so foreign. I mean, which is really kind of a tragedy. It's so foreign to our way of thinking, and it also will create a kind of a barrier to how we treat other creatures and, and what we think the world is. And depending upon what our conditioning is, is how, our, is, is, is how we think of ourselves as being this supreme event, and yet we, we have to thank all other species for contributing to this magnificence that we call our bodies. Beautifully said. So, so that, gee, that changes a lot of things. It changes things like what do we do every day and what is it to be healthy and what does it really mean to, to be here on planet Earth. Um, I often speak about the fact that uh, people talk about the environment as if it's outside of them rather than we are the environment. And uh, uh, I, I'm curious how you want to talk about how does this, this reality of perception shift the way one, one does life, one, one leads life? Well, I think that one of the most important things is, um, first of all, the, 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 the question that I asked myself back in the tenements of Brooklyn where I was born and I was about five years old was in what ways do we become self-limiting? I mean, that has been a an ongoing question ever since I can remember, as I say, since I was five. The next... Um, the next question has to be why do we have 85% water? Why do we need all of this water within our organism? And what I say, and this has come from 42 years of exploring, so it's not that I arrived at this instantly, is that water anywhere, anywhere in the universe is resonating with all water. And it is a, so the water in the galaxy, the water in the planet, and the water in our bodies is a resonant stream of intelligence. And it functions as a kind of an umbilical cord in a way. In other words, uh, just the way the umbilical cord is feeding the embryo, it ha it's the same thing, that we are fed through this resonant stream. And when the water within us the fluid within us becomes atrophied or or um, uh, uh, moribund, uh, deflated. We have lost resonance, and that has been one of the major uh, insights that I began to explore with people with spinal cord injury. Rather than seeing it as a problem within the nervous system, I saw it as the the loss of fluid resonance. And that, to me, is 
a, a bottom-up primary reconnect to the splendor of existence is the vibrancy of the fluid world that we swim in. We are still swimming. Even though we are moving on land, we are still swimming. So one of the things that I understand about the fluid system that you've explored so extensively is that it has no boundary. Even though we might be talking about blood or we might be talking about synovial fluid, um, Mm -hmm. we're talking about a system that no matter what we call the fluid. So would you go into that a little bit more of of how you, uh, you know, we have these articulations of fluid but then there's well, something larger. And before you begin, I'd like to invite everyone who's just joined us to hit star six. That will help the recording, please. Thank you. Well, it was in, as part of my questioning, I uh, had studied uh, with Catherine Dunham uh, in New York City, and her work was based on Haitian dance. And I went to Haiti at one point in my life. And... I think it's important for people who are listening to know that when you ask a question, you become the question, and that it's not important that you, that you have an answer. What's important is to ask the question because it 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 creates the your your the stream of your awareness. And when I was um, when I first went to the Dunham School, the thing that was so interesting to me were, was the wave motion of the spines. And even though I didn't know why it was so important, I I knew that it was. I mean, the minute that I saw that, it felt absolutely right to me, which was very different than the kind of ordinary movements that I saw, you know, in, in New York and, you know, people doing whatever they were doing. These wave motions and what I began to understand from my time in Haiti and 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 since that is that the universe speaks to us through wave and spiral movements and that depending upon the rhythm of these of these spirals or waves or pulsations will be the kind of message that we are receiving in other words movement is the message and the messenger the the language uh, because movement does not have a language, it speaks in spirals and waves. And so one of the things that was very important in terms of exploring spinal cord injury was returning the body to the sea. In other words, of creating as much wave motion as possible. So not not getting all involved with the paralysis and this and that and the other thing, but of returning the the organism to its origin and to its primary uh, source in the language of that source, which is wave motion and spiral. So in, in any of the work that I've done with spinal cord injury, and I must say that whether it's spinal cord injury or aging or whatever it is, the restorative processes of the organism are within the wave spiral. That is where we we become uh, more capable of any kind of restorative uh, uh, aspects of ourselves is in that. Where, in a sense, we return to the sea. So, so it's very very interesting how how that has um, developed over these years. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to 
to kind of um, put it in a larger framework, you have in your system of thinking right now three anatomies, which some people will know about, but a lot of people won't. And 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 in speaking of that, because when you're talking about wave, people might think of the oceanic wave, but you're really also talking about a cosmic wave. That fluid isn't just on the yeah. earth and in our bodies. It's part of what the earth is bathed in and uh, mm-hmm. or the larger cosmic force. And so would you kind of go into that perspective? Well, what I did in Life on Land, I was, I, I'm basically speaking to the fact that the fluid within our tissue is the primary resonator. And depending upon what the uh, context is, will be the limit or the expansion of the potency of what we're able to access. And I've, uh, just as a way of um, describing, modern human beings are very unique in their um, in the constellation of fluid, and it has to do with all of the activities that we do that I that I would call forward thrust, meaning that when we watch television, when we drive, when we work on computers, when we do all of the various things that we do, everything is forward, and so our tissue will accommodate that forward thrust, and in so doing, it will also create a very specific kind of of um, information that that is uh, available in that forward thrust. The forward thrust is a very limited form of information. So let's just say if somebody has a problem uh, of some sort, a neuromuscular uh, compromise or whatever it is, that the forward thrust is the, the potency of the system is in its elaborate tissue organization, not in the forward thrust. So when you have methodologies that don't, that ignore the scope of the system and the fact that it is, that wave is the, the essential movement of the organism, you have very limited procedures. And that's been my big beef with fitness and with rehab and all of those things. They're based on mechanical models that have, that are not recognizing the potency within the system. So in the three anatomies, I'm describing different tissue organizations depending upon the organization of fluid. And one of the, a good example that I think people might be able to understand is that when we look at an octopus, we're looking at the fluid orchestrating itself within the octopus's tissue. So the, what we see is an astonishing dexterity within the octopus and an ability to shift its structure depending upon what is needed. We can also do that. I mean, we don't squeeze ourselves through keyholes, but we can move to a prevertebral uh, orchestration. The, the less form there is, the more information flow there is. And, and, and I use the example, and I hope that's, I think this is fairly simple. I look the, I use the example of the cell, the gel cell phase transition within the cell, where the structure of fluid will determine the structure of the cell. And when the, when the fluid becomes more aqueous in the cell, it's engaging with streams of intelligent life that go far beyond the, the limitation of the cell. So when we, when we enter into 
a wave capacity, the potency of our system increases and form itself becomes more negotiable because it's not held in a rigid boundary. So I hope that's that's illustrative enough for people to uh, grab. I think I think it's great. So okay. <laughs> so 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 go to the three anatomies. What are what are you defining as these three anatomies? Most of us most people think of themselves as you know bones, muscles, tissue, maybe organs, maybe some nerves thrown in there, ligaments. You know what are you talking about anatomy? Well, what I'm talking about is, again, how fluid will design our tissue structure. So all of our structures are basically uh, held together. I mean, we have atoms and this and that. But, again, I'm saying that the fluid is the primary resonator. So let's just say a person who is a forward thrust, you know, conventional body kind of person is having a... um, a uh, a compromise or let's say the aging process the whole issue of entropy is i say entropy which is the 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 um the the incoherence that we experience in the aging process whether it comes in in the brain uh, where our thought process becomes uh, not very clear or our um, our movements become a little shaky, our balance, our this, our that, and that there's a kind of shriveling up that we do see in the aging process. And I'm saying that that, is, that, that demonstrates our stage of development and that 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 kind of entropy or aging is actually not necessary. That in a fluid system that is that is capable of um, of expanding its structure through 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 the fluid choreography of tissue. So what would happen, let's say, in the three anatomies is you have a cultural anatomy, which is the forward thrust. And then you have a primordial anatomy where form becomes much more negotiable, where we're seeing more of a of a of a of a wave inside the the tissue, and the whole person has more of a sense of of connection to all primordial life. When that happens, there is a potency within the system that you cannot. You absolutely cannot get that in the in the conventional anatomy. You just can't get it because the conventional anatomy is form bound, and in the primordial anatomy, which is which is wave motion, it, there is the form is 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 negotiable. So obviously, I mean, we see arms and legs and all of that, but we're looking at the tissue structure, which which has a um, an extraordinary oceanic uh, quality to it. The third anatomy, which I refer to as the cosmic anatomy, what that is is that the the wave is no longer apparent and space becomes more evident. So that a wave, in other words, if you if you think of a wave, you know, for instance, in the ocean, if you look at a wave like that, and all of a sudden the wave is suspended for let's say a rather long period of time and then it when it begins its movement again it has an orchestration that is much much more refined than anything we've ever seen and so it it has a suspension to it where you can suspend a movement or a wave for a very long time 
And when when it does begin to move again, the quality of it and the orchestration of it is completely different. Now, Valerie Hunt, in her research, refers to that as a scalar wave, and she refers to that as a wave of creation, a kind of standing wave in a, in a way where there's a suspension of everything. So in a sense, I mean, if we were to boil this down, we could say that there are different cadences or rhythms that will describe life processes. And depending upon our capacity to engage in these, in, in the scope of these rhythms is the capacity for our uh, ability for renewal and for our restorative abilities to, to really uh, come, come be accessed. So I'm talking about, and I call it a broadband virtuoso, when a system is able to have that kind of broadband uh, mobile consciousness. And uh, we have a practitioner program, and one of the, 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 the basic questions is, is, is your client is in front of you, would we call this a well-modulated system, meaning is it capable of, of shifting its, its, the fluid choreography and engaging in wider band rhythms. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that that's clear in what I just said. Um, it's clear to me. But um, let, me, let me take... <laughs> well, when we have questions from people, we right. can maybe... We yeah. can articulate yeah. that more. And, and I yeah. think that, that your work isn't... For somebody who's entering into it for the first time... Um, there are certainly wonderful articles on your website on continuummovement.com. So I would encourage people to access some of the information there to start, and also your book, uh, Life on Land, because uh, it, it begins to develop a conversation and a language um, of fluid that is um, that for some people will take a little bit of time. One of the things that I'd like you to talk about in this area is our thinking, because that's kind of in a way what we're discussing right now, is how, how do you take these ideas in and make sense of them? And we have had this conversation, I know, with, with my work with the core, to switch people from seeing the body as object to stop mm-hmm. seeing themselves as their psoas is muscle and is... Uh, uh, a hip flexor and you know and defining it in a mechanical base to recognize that it's what I call um, a messenger of the central nervous system and actually a messenger of the midline and and you know it, it takes some it takes some suppleness of thinking to even begin to allow yourself to open up to a whole different way of thinking and um, I thought it was so interesting in your work how you've talked about the tissue of the brain, and I'd like you to go there for a moment of how, you know, if you don't have some of these experiences, that the tissue of your brain can't even kind of grasp or be open to new ideas. And so some of the things that you bring in terms of movement are beginning of even um, embarking on this journey of recognizing ourselves as so much more than an object the uh i mean one of the things that's interesting in terms of uh, uh teaching continuum communicating continuum is well first of all we we just all have to sort of understand that we 
we do not see outside of our own brain, that whatever we see is our brain. Uh, the 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 conditioning whatever whatever we've learned in terms of and i like to use the example of somebody who is blind and has a cornea transplant that when they have this cornea transplant and the bandages are off they have no idea what they're looking at they have no pattern in their brain to define the shapes around them so there is no pattern to say that's a chair that's a table that's a dog they don't have that they do see light and dark and that's it so without the patterning we don't we don't know anything and the patterning that that goes on for us and particularly with modern people and i talk i i never i'm speaking about aborigines i'm always talking about modern people and the kind of concerns that we have is that our social first of all let's just say the body is not understood as an ongoing process the the views of the body are extremely reductive and as i say in many of my classes anybody who works with the body is in the stable next to the horses and the pigs that it's still considered a kind of low form of existence kind of a little bit maybe better than an animal but that our higher faculties are definitely you know the most prized possessions that we have and so that our understanding of ourselves as living processes as a totality of existence um you know is it depends on where you were raised i mean the point is that we can't even teach continuum in in the midwest we don't teach it in the deep south there are many places where you can't teach continuum because of the the biases around the body if you do wave motion somewhere in the midwest it's it it's too sensual looking for people to be able to tolerate and so you have all of these biases and all of these restrictions and all of this this kind of uh uh necessity to control and diminish the the kind of intelligence that moves from our system so here's the uh from you know from your question of the what goes on in our brains one of the things that i'm pointing out all the time in continuum is that when when somebody moves they're basically they're basically repeating the patterns that are in their brain so that a movement will be part of the conditioning and so as best we can in continuum we prepare ourselves for movement in in a a very specific way so that the as the choreography of fluid is emerging it is not it is not it is not part of it's not shapes that conditioning insists on it's shapes that are really new and the the uh the exhilaration to the brain we were discussing this in class today i think one of the most important things about about um the the primary experience of the organism is a sense of discovery i mean i have to say and please excuse me i don't mean to insult anybody but a lot of times i go to classes uh, or i observe classes that to me are like obedience school where the instructor is is instructing 
every little thing that the person is to do. Now lift your leg and hold it for two counts and then do this and then do that and then do this and then do that. And there is no discovery. It's what it, it's obedience school is what it is. You're taking the person away from any kind of experience at all. The sense of discovery is probably one of the greatest neural enhancers that there can be because there is not a limited world. So the moment that I am, I am able to discover, I have no wall to my world. And it's the wall to the world that creates the neural senescence and what we see in the, uh, with Alzheimer's and, and dementia and all of the neurological impairments that take place. Uh, it is true that there are nutrients that, that become diminished in the brain, but I'm saying to you that the sense of exhilaration of discovery is one of the greatest nutrients that we have. And again, the more controlled uh, our world becomes, the more fearful the world becomes, the more limited we become, the wall comes up, and then you're dealing with swallowing your own echo uh, all the time, and that will... Any closed system, I don't care what it is, will, will become pathological, whether it's a, uh, a group of people, uh, I mean, and anything that is reinforcing the, um, the, the same information will, will decay. So let me stop you there. Let me, let me stop you there because I know one of the things that uh, is of great interest to you right now is, um, this idea of our capacity to source ourselves. And and so would you move into that? Because I think that's such a rich territory. Yes, and it started out um, uh, about, uh, I can't remember, I think it was five or six years ago, and I had uh, suggested to Omega Institute, where I've been on the faculty for, I don't know, 25 years or something, to have a uh, conference called Evolutionary Somatics. And and so we did. And um, uh, Dean Juhan was there, Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohn, um, Dietrich Klinghart, who is a very interesting doctor, and myself. And the, the main impression that I had was that people were, were, were just feeling absolutely vulnerable to everything that's happening around them. And this is before the economy crashed. Um, and, and wanting to have new models of being able to, to deal with the environment, to deal with pollution, to deal with all of the, the events that are taking place that we have no manual for. And so that, the issue around sourcing ourselves and sourcing our communities became a major, uh, a major, uh, uh, a, a major awareness for me in terms of how I was shaping my own work. And um, one of the things besides the issue of, of obviously a fluid system is a more capable system in relation to uh, being in a bio, uh, in, in relation to its ability to access biointelligence. I mean, it's as simple as that. But the there are certain things that are important. The, the, what I began to do, and I can't exactly remember when I began to do it, I began to eliminate all external activation. And the reason for that is that there is so much activation constantly with 
all of the activity around us, the electromagnetic, all the speed that goes on, all of the computer and this and that and the wiring and blah, 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 and the constant barrage of, of stimuli that the system loses its ability to self-regulate. And, and in, in order to self-regulate, it needs to shift its circuitry. It needs to, it's not rest. It's what I would call the long wave. It is, it's not rest, meaning moribund resting. It is the ability to enter into streams that are where the interval of rhythm is, is very slowed down. And so what I've done is I take away as much uh, external activation in relation to light, mu- no music, uh, we we work in the dark as as much as possible, and it's been very remarkable in relation to the ability to what I think helps us to enter into a cellular stream. And the cellular stream uh, is a very very long wave, so it's very slowed down, very very slowed down. And in that, I feel that the ability to self-regulate um, is we're able to access that and that is and the question that I ask is if a system was not bound in time would it even be susceptible to the to the impact of the environment so that is the question that I've been exploring in these last I, I don't know I guess it's five or six years I, I can't remember exactly but it's pretty much that. We just finished a 10-day intensive where we were in the dark most of the time. And, I know. I, I've, uh, I've joined you for some of the... Um, yeah, and And it's been uh, extremely rewarding. Um, the yeah. nourishment and the creativity and the, the... I think nourishment is the best word I can yeah. use. A deep, profound nourishment. Um, yeah. That I think brings a what I call coherency to the midline, coherency to my, to so so this I guess I want to say that that this bridge into from being to doing and this relationship between these this being really an open broadband system to then functioning in the world are very mm-hmm. compatible because they create the capacity to create a world that's more coherent. Well, you know how I see it also, which I, I, I think is very important, is that the, the, the increase of fluidity and the increase of inclusivity, for instance, within one of the men in Continuum, who's a medical doctor, Warren Brody, wrote this article that I just love this article. He is describing the human as an ecosystem. And I love that because it feels very important at this time that we use metaphors that we uh, that are that are really current with what's necessary. And he's talking about an inclusive consciousness that is not only species inclusive but cellular as well. And what goes on in that is that in an inclusive consciousness, there is an empathic capacity that really does end the the need to just to control dominate and kill and i find that you know so in in terms of the i find it difficult to separate any kind of movement from the social contract and the social in agreement in fact i refuse to 
And what I say in my classes, I am not teaching you to become a better prisoner. I am absolutely not interested in that. In other words, if the movement is not in some way affecting the social contract, then it's just another trick. Then it's what I call being a limber fool, and I don't care about it, and I don't want to spend my time doing it. So I only care about what is not only the immensity of what we are inhabiting, but the effect it has on the world around us. And the, the, the issue around um, the needing to dominate or to destroy any, any uh, group that, um, that threatens our sense of safety is uh, that that world is coming to an end it seems to me and and as 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 we see the theater around us the theater of such what i call barriers of belief it's it's so obvious that we have to shift our circuitry to a broader band in order for us to feel a sense of connection and safety that that, that is not threatened by other information so that the need to dominate and to kill, that, that those reflexes are not in play. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to jump in here. Uh, one is that if anybody hasn't star six, please do so, because I'm picking up um, static from people's um, phone lines. So please star six. Um, I'd like to jump in here because uh, working with the, the, the psoas, of course, is the fear response in the body and, and, and that primal and instinctive uh, response to curl or to arc um, that I work with to actually reestablish uh, coherency, and um, and so I, I'd kind of like you to maybe uh, talk about that a little bit about how we're we're actually um, there. What I notice is that the more I actually acknowledge the responses moving through my, my core, through the midline, the more I'm, I'm, I, I recognize them through my own sensation, the capacity to actually move with them and, and um, uh, the, what you might call the wave motion begins to then bring neutrality so that I can be neutral in whatever I'm experiencing in my my everyday world, and I don't go into reaction. It's not that I don't have good instincts. I know how to jump off. You know, I still jump back when the truck comes barreling around the corner. The instincts are actually enlivened by doing this work, and yet I'm not um, I'm not controlled by them. I actually can can have a, a more neutral, I, I would call it a more neutral nervous system in a way, a more, uh, a larger capacity to handle um, all that, that happens for me or all that's going around. I think that's very interesting. Uh, I mean, there are different ways of looking at what you just said. And one of the, um, one of the things that I think the communality between us are, are the uh, coping strategies or the adaptive patterns that come with the embryonic journey through the birth canal and the bonding process, the, the primary bonding processes that go on that will establish a, a, uh, a coping strategy within the system that is, that is, uh, becomes a, a, a constant trigger. Would you say? 
Huh? Yes, yes, I can see yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, and so that my fear trigger is, and the moment that there's a fear trigger, based upon my coping strategy and adaptive pattern, uh, I will have to calm that down by either dominating uh, the moment or uh, for, for my sense of security or destroying whatever is around, you know, what, whatever it is that is uh, uh, providing the anguish at the moment. Would you, would you say that? Hmm. Yeah, I can say that. So when you speak of the the uh, the sense of 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 being able to not be reactive, what I how I how I experience what you said is that the the uh, the not holding these adaptive or coping strategy triggers that will actually and they do dominate the system. Um, that my that when when my organism is able to maintain or if I if I understood you correctly a a coherent uh, capacity that my react that I'm I am now in time I mean I am now in I'm not being governed by my coping and adaptive strategies would you say that yes yeah yeah and that's really what I see happening for most people with the psoas. And, and that's really not understood. People think they need to control their core and become more static and more engaged and more. But that's really what you're talking about in that, that uh, not only adaptive, it's then another layer of control on top of, a, right. uh, on top yeah. of an already reactive system. That's right, yes. And I think that, I think that the work that you've done, and it's interesting that you're, you know, you're, um, your intrigue with the midline and mine is also, I call it the cosmic antenna. I mean, it, it's very interesting that both of us are looking at a, a communality of interest and again of the, um, the, uh, the, the shedding of the skin of the, of the kind of triggered consciousness that go, that, that, that just goes by itself. It doesn't need a brain. All it needs is a trigger. And so the it, it, it's just so interesting, you know, the the issue of core strength and the kind of way. How would you? How do you feel about the core strengthening exercises that you would see, let's say, in a gym or someplace like that? And you know what we, you know, would ordinarily see. I mean, do you? How do you evaluate that? Well, I I look at I look at that. What I see is. People want to create a level of density in the tissue because they're using the mechanical model of thinking that if I have a spine of steel, I will be able to adapt and control and behave in ways that will keep me safe. And and that's the model that people are engaging in. But what I see working with you and when when I met you and we I started people kept saying, Oh, go work with Emily and when I and when I came into your field and I started to work in this fluid system, what I recognized was that the core was fluid, it was juicy, literally the filet mignon of the, the psoas is and that it allowed the entire uh, capacity of the organism to begin 
to come into a residence that was quite um, nourishing and what I would call being able to source myself. And so I was being fed by my own system in a way yeah. that all of a sudden I didn't, you know, the, the, the organization of the skeletal system, the organization of the muscular system, all of these systems started to reorganize themselves, not in a, in a linear pattern, but as a gestalt. Yes. And as you were speaking, I was also reflecting on the fact of um, the whole issue of eating disorders. Like when you speak of nourishment, you're speaking about the organism in being in a stream of its own capability to create nourishment. And that the sense of not being nourished can very much translate into the the compulsion around food that I have because I'm not being nourished uh, within myself. I I need to fill up on externals in order to uh, feel that I'm so-called nourished. Right, and you've talked about that both when we did the workshop together about the bones and how what happens where we implode when we're not in relationship with ourselves and the environment, that there's incoherency there. There's no expression out. We, we move in and collapse. So we can, yeah. on very real, structural, uh, adaptable ways of behaving, your system provides an incredible uh, new model, I would say. And it's kind of a new frontier of health, isn't it? Well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm going to be 75 in a couple of minutes <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at myself you know and I thought god how did I get to be 70 I mean that sounds like such a big number you know and aren't I supposed to be like an old lady and you know kind of you know whatever it is and I'm you know and and I feel that you know that that it's not that I'm afraid of aging it's that I'm I'm questioning aging I'm, I don't know you know well what what makes you know I'm not talking about wrinkles and stuff like that I'm talking about the actual exhilaration of the system itself that if it's in a state of renewal as it, the way the cell a healthy cell can be in a state of renewal then then again and and if i can dissolve enough to allow that the the source of nourishment to keep increasing then the whole notion of aging is more like uh fine wine where it just gets better and more uh more layered in its fragrance and its taste than than the kind of decay that we would ordinarily see so i mean it is it, i mean the the whole aging process is very interesting to me as i enter into you know a um definitely a senior citizen kind of situation here and so I'm, you don't I'm look very... like any senior citizen i've ever met <laughs> well, i know what i'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying anyway don't you think it'd be fun to hear from people I think uh, so. who are listening? i absolutely agree so let's uh star six anyone who wants to hats come on on just tell me your name and ask your question you have to star six to unhook yourself from being quiet. Nobody's willing. Uh oh. Oh. Gosh, maybe everybody. <laughs> maybe everybody fell asleep. Okay, I'm star sixing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, this is MJ Bindu, Delecta, and um, I'm just so grateful for this conversation. Oh, thank you. Oh. Man, Emily, I have 
learned so much from you, and I work with fluidity in my studio all the time. And actually, I just had a thing come up recently where these two, this couple who come to one of my classes told me <laughs> that they wanted more structure. Uh-huh, because and they're filled with fear. No, 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 no. Exactly, you have to understand exactly. that. Yeah. Oh, I did in the moment, and I, it was so beautiful because we, the way you were describing it, mm-hmm. I realized that I was totally in the wave and the fluid because I just looked at them and said, I think you need to find another teacher. Mm. You know, yeah. because there's, pl- there's a lot of people out there who will give you that, mm. but that's not what's happening here. Mm. And there's where, nothing where do you have your studio? In Martha's Vineyard. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, I'm Martha's Vineyard, and I've worked with Emily a number of times, and every time I've learned more and more about. Now, the question I have is, is that discovery the same as curiosity? Yes. Okay. And the other question is, I do a lot of chanting and toning and singing bowls, and I find that the fluid is activated with, uh, within my own system when I do like a bhakti scat. I'm not talking about a kirtan, call and response, mm-hmm. but something where the, the sound just takes me yeah. and I'm making fluid sounds all the time. So mm-hmm. when I first started working with you, Emily, there was a lot of music and loud music. Yes. And I worked with you again when it was totally silent, and I really appreciated that. But I find when I do my own um, continuum, it's important for me to make sound. Yeah, we do make sound. Okay, so let's let let Emily answer the question. Thank you for your... Okay. So we can ask, we can get involved in other people too. So you want to answer, say anything about sound and working with sound? Well, the, the the sound that we work with uh, is the first of all one of the things that I like to explore with sound, it, where sound is coming from different parts of the throat, and um, vibrating the vocal cord or being able to to be in the tissues more, and so that it's not vocal sound. And I mean, it is vocal sound, but it is coming from different parts of the throat and different parts of the body. Uh, many years ago, I had this image of a of a of a Indian master who was doing mantra from different parts of his body, from his, the back of uh, from his back, from his chest, from his uh, the back of his head, from his elbows. So, and that really did strike me uh, as the way mantra should happen. So that's we use a lot of vocal sound, and what I. What I what I like about that is that the sound and the sounds we use are uh, specific to whatever we're exploring. They're not just all over the place. So, and the um, the effect that the sound that human sound from from the human voice is uh, has a unique uh, effect on people, which is a little bit different than when you have uh, instrumental sound. But we we definitely still use quite a bit of sound. Yeah. So Emily. I'd, yeah. like to, I'd like to ask you a question about that because I think I'd like to clarify something. Um, yeah. I want you to clarify the difference between uh, the kind of work you do and something that is mesmerizing. Well, what do you but mean that by that? takes you into an altered state of consciousness. Holly, I'll stop. Do I well, hold on for a minute? I mean, it's, Does, uh-huh. so, 
Emily, so but the question is for me is I just want to want to what it raised for me was it, I'd like to because your work is very grounded and and I and I'm, I'm not refuting what was said. I'm just I want to articulate it a little more. So I'm asking you to articulate the differentiation between something that takes you into an altered state of consciousness and something that you're talking about, which is entering a fluid consciousness. Well, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think that one of the things that's important to me, and particularly because I lived in the West Indies, there was a lot of um, uh, trance uh, dancing. And I feel that people are already in a trance, so I don't know why we would do that. Um, <laughs> the thing for me that I think is important is to be able to track what's happening and uh, to <coughs> excuse me, develop a... A, uh, I don't know if this is answering you, but a very refined uh, sensing capacity so that I'm not using the whatever it is to get stoned or high or to, to escape, but to expand my actual reality. Great. So, that's, that's um, beautiful. That's beautiful. So I just yeah. wanted to clarify that. And, and can we take uh, one or two more questions? So if someone wants to say their name and ask their question, that would be great. Hmm. <laughs> Everybody's asleep. Hi. Hello. Hi. Yes. Hi. Yes. My name is Patricia. Can you hear me? Okay. Hi, Patricia. Hi. Um, so I am a 20-year West Coast person who just moved to the Midwest. I was Where are you living? Wait a minute. Where are you oh, living? I'm in Iowa. Uh huh. So I was just interested because I, I mean, if, if there's lots of chiropractic around here, mm-hmm. but that's about the extent of it. Um, so my curiosity is if you've had, what experiences you've had here and, you know, why you say it's so difficult. Because the, the, um, the more insular, and if you just look at it geographically, the, sure. the, uh, if you look at where continuum is taught, it's mostly on the coast. Of mm-hmm. whether it's east coast or west coast or the, the there's an insularity that that comes about uh when you don't have flow of information really so that i mean that's what you see in in areas that are more that are, are on the edges of the ocean you have more people coming back and forth you have a flow of information if you're going to use that mm-hmm. metaphor and insular and environments do not have that and so they are um they are not so open to um, to uh, new ideas. I mean, everybody knows that California is just, you know, a, a very experimental place. Everybody yeah. knows that. Why is that? Well, it's right on the ocean, number one. Number two, the ground is not stable. <laughs> so the ground moves a lot. So right. it, does, it means that there's not a restrictiveness in the actual, I'm talking about the actual land itself. Is, is, is very, as a porosity to it. And so there's a freedom on the uh, West Coast that makes it much, e- I never could have developed continuum anywhere else. I could not have done it. It was too restrictive. So why did you move to Iowa? Oh, I, my parents are here and I came back for... Oh, I see. Well, and, uh-huh. I, and I will say that I'm going to be in Iowa teaching this fall. So I'm going ah! to be in Des Moines. So come, come visit um, at a studio in Des Moines. So email me and I'll send you all the information or go on the website, uh, Core Awareness. And so... Okay. So uh, I'll I'll bring a little juicy uh, California. They uh, by Liz to- Cook. They <laughs> by Liz Cook. 
So can we ask one more question and then um, uh, we should probably uh, close soon, although we could go on forever. This is so exciting. Do we have uh, somebody else who wanted to ask a question about the conversation we had? Hello? Hi. Hearing you. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Say your name. Elizabeth Crowley calling. Hi. Hi, it's Elizabeth Crowley. Great. Hi. Hi. Um. I was uh, recently rereading your book, and um, I came across the part about um, cosmic drowning. And um, I know it has a lot to do with loosening one's identity. And um, I'm wondering if it has some similarities to um, what you speak about sometimes of um, how you have to die as many times as possible. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, when you're in the continuum movement process, Well, it's interesting. I mean, the cosmic drowning really is a a metaphor to describe merging your consciousness with the fluid intelligence, that the more we're able to engage in that, the more whatever is holding, uh, whatever is rigid in us will rise to the surface. And that's what I mean. So that the um, whatever I'm holding, whatever whatever pattern, whatever this, whatever that that is that has been rigidified within my system, the intelligence of the fluid will will lift it up for us to see, and and it will begin to allow it to move. So what I call cosmic drowning is the again where our consciousness begins to function like that stream, like that resonance stream. Right. And that's why people use fluid. I mean, the the Holy Spirit of water is in all of the religious ceremonies throughout the thousands of years of human history. Water has always been there. Right. And you see, here's the thing I think that's important to know is that water carries memory. And so everything that has happened on this planet, guess what, is being carried in the magnificence of the pool of water. Mm-hmm. And so when we, yeah, when we join that, we we're entering into a larger life. So that's a cosmic drowning. And and for those people who haven't done continuum, make a link between actual water and the fluid system. So so you're not talking about literally going into water. You're talking about no, no. opening yourself to something within yes. your own system. So would you just kind exactly. of say that? Yes, I'm not talking about committing suicide. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean that. I mean, you know, just even jumping into, I mean, it is, water's fabulous to be in because it does elicit some fluid movement, but you're actually talking about fluid movement on land. Yes, I am. And I think it's very interesting, like, for instance, when you do a heart transplant or something like that, that the the, the organ has to undulate that all of our organs are undulatory organs still still carrying the message of the sea. I mean when you think of it that way, I mean it is just it's just a stunning uh to me description of of the human and how we uh how we orient ourselves within our physical reality. So uh, anyway, Liz, I, I really appreciate you inviting me uh, to participate in this very interesting and spirited dialogue with you, as always. Yeah, and, thank you and, so much. Uh, and just thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that you do and everything that you bring into our world, and particularly you're going to Iowa, which is... <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so thank you, Emily. And for people who are listening, you can find more about Emily's workshops at www.continuum, and that's with two U's, movement.com. You can also look up Emily Conrad, C-O-N-R-A-D, to track Emily's work. And you can order Life on Land, published by North Atlantic Press. Thank you, Emily, so much. It was delightful. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's great. Take, take thank care. you, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you.